0: you have a Bible, can I encourage you to turn in it to Judges chapter 14 and 15. If you want to use the the Bible in front of you, you can find it on pages 214 and 215. Samson, who is kind of the, the, the character that the Bible is talking about from Judges 13 to 16, is someone who perplexes me. You see, on one hand, Samson in the words of the late Pastor Timothy Keller, is consumed with sexual lust and anger. We're going to see that today. We'll see that again next week. And the thing is, lust and anger are the kinds of sin that Paul the Apostle tells the church, tells the people in Colossians chapter 3 that we're to put to death. We're to get rid of that in our lives. We shouldn't have that in us. I mean sexual lust damages us, damages our souls, and damages people around us. And there's a sense in which that's who Samson is. He's embraced those things. But then on the other hand, Samson finds a listing in Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as kind of the hall of faith chapter of the entire Bible. Now, in fairness, it's a short listing, but he made the list. So you could kind of say on one hand, he is the poster child for failure, but at the same time, he's the poster child for freedom. Now, I don't know about you, but that confuses me just a little bit. Kind of misses with my head. How can you be both? Well, perhaps the words of Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 might help us kind of think through that. Those verses say this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, in that verse, verses, Paul is describing the tension that every single follower of Christ can experience. See, when a person... Trust the Lord Jesus, repent of their sin, and trust the Lord Jesus as his or her savior. That person is saved by God. They are redeemed. They are rescued from Sin, they literally receive eternal life. Another way the Bible would say that is in that moment when you trust Christ, you are saved from the penalty of sin. Instead of being eternally separated from God, you're reconciled to God. So the penalty of sin is dealt with. But here is the thing being saved from the penalty of sin doesn't mean that everything in life from this point on will be smooth and simple and easy. See, the truth is sin is still a powerful thing. It's still a present reality in life, which is why right now in the lives of followers of Christ, God is at work not just to save them from the penalty of sin, but also to save them from the power of sin. And the way God does that is by putting the Holy Spirit in the lives of his people. So if you've trusted Christ, guess what? The Holy Spirit comes into your life to help you. You say, why do I need his help? Well, what we just read there. See, not only is the Holy Spirit in our life, but there's this thing called the flesh. Now, when Paul uses the word flesh there, he doesn't mean our physical bodies. What he's really talking about is that part of us that is bent in opposition to God, the part of us that wants to do the reverse of what God would tell us to do, which in essence means we've got the Holy Spirit on the one hand wanting to pull us toward freedom and our flesh wanting to pull us toward failure. Now, I'm old enough or had kids at the right age. Both are a combination. There was the, a character used to be called Stretch Armstrong. And you could pull his arms out. My parents never bought me one. I can finally say that since they're both with Jesus. I can you know, like, Mom and Dad never got me one of those. Well, the reality is they didn't need to get me one because when I trusted Christ as a high school student, I began to experience Stretch Armstrong pulled in both directions. Which really, in that sense, I think, raises a question. How can you and I say no to failure, no to that pull, no to the flesh, and say yes to the Holy Spirit, yes to freedom, yes to living in the freedom I've received, you've received if you trusted Christ? Now, as Solomon's life unfolds, sorry, not Solomon, Samson's life unfolds a little more in Judges 14 and 15. I think we can learn from Samson's struggle four steps, four positive steps we can take from his struggle that would help us walk by the Spirit, in the words of Galatians 5, help us walk in the freedom that God has for us, to live and experience that rather than failure. So we're talking about four steps this morning. What are those? Step number one would be this. If we're going to walk in the freedom and be led and say yes to the Spirit of God, step number one would be to operate from God's values, not yours, not mine. Now, Judges 13 ended by saying that God was stirring, that the Spirit of the Lord was stirring Samson. Okay, That sounds like very much a freedom thing, stirring him. Good, the Spirit of the Lord is doing it. But that's not the only thing that was tugging at Samson. Verse 1 of Judges 40, 14. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Verse 2. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Now let me be very clear. It'll be, all he did is he saw this woman. He didn't know her. He didn't really even know his name, her name most. Like he just saw her and said, she's the one for me. Get her. Verse 3. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you must go to take the wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me for she is right in my eyes. I mean, Samson made this demand, get this woman for me, because that's kind of how it worked. You'd have your parents broker a deal to make it happen. But they're horrified by what he's asking. I mean, the Philistines were Israel's oppressors. I mean, how could he marry the enemy? How could he do that? Well, I want us to think about something that kind of makes Samson's account a little bit of an oddity in the book of Judges. See, in Judges, back in Judges chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, it links the Philistines to one year, one year of crushing and oppressing Israel. Then in chapter 13, verse 1, we looked at last week, says that Israel was put into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. But there is zero mention, no mention at all, of the Philistines oppressing Israel. And then you come to the beginning of chapter 14, and like Samson's hanging around going down into the Philistine part of the country, and he's like, hey, I want this woman. And In his eyes, that's an okay thing. Now, to put all those kind of pieces of data together, what it seems like is they may have oppressed them once, yes. For one year, yes. But since then, it almost seems like the impact of the Philistines on Israel was to entice them, was to say, hey, we invite you to be like us. We invite you to join us. We invite you to participate with us. And Samson seemed kind of good with that idea. I mean, by his values, she's right in my eyes. She's who I should have. So to Samson and his values, joining the Philistines is a great idea. You see, Samson figured his values, his value judgment is what really mattered, not God's. He didn't really seem to care that God had said in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 3 not to intermarry with the nations in the promised land. He kind of skipped that. because, See, his values said, she's right in my eyes. I think you and I need to learn a lesson from Samson at this point. See, the first step for us to be saved from the power of sin, to lean in the direction of freedom and the Holy Spirit instead of failure, for us to be, in that sense, saved from the power of lust and anger in our lives, is to operate according to God's values, not our values, not the values of the broader culture around us. If we're going to apply this to our lives, we need to remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 33, and that is we are to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, not ours, not our stuff, not our values, his values. What God says is right, that's what we need to operate according to. See, if we're going to align with the work of God, the work of freedom, we can't do on our own, but He can do in us, and we can align with that, we need to seek His kingdom. We need to seek His values, which means we need to face a question and answer a question. What is it that you and I are seeking? What is it that you are seeking? Step number two. We need to operate according to God's values, not all. We need to seek His values. But step number two is we need to trust that God is working for our freedom. Now, As you read chapter 14 and 15 and, and really into chapter 16, it seems like that Samson and his lust and his anger, they, they just seem to be in the forefront of these chapters. Okay? Now, that's what's sort of very obvious to see. It's not hidden by any stretch. But even though that's true, even though they're on the forefront, that does not mean in any way that God is not working because God is still working. He's working to bring freedom through Samson's issues and in some sense maybe despite Samson's issues, despite what Samson is doing. Look at verses 4 to 6 with me. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord For he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat, and he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Now, verse 4 really very much is referencing the fact that God is working, God is going to work as this story unfolds to save Israel. Okay, Last week we looked, Samson was born. Chapter 3, verse 5, he was born in part because he was going to begin to save Israel. Verse 4 is reminding us God's working to bring this salvation. Then in verses 5 and 6, the focus turns from the broad nation to Samson himself. Now, let's unpack verses 5 and 6 a little bit. Now, Samson, we learned last week, was to be a Nazarite his entire life. Now, a Nazarite was not to have anything to do whatsoever with grapes, anything with grapes. So going to a vineyard where grapes are grown... May not be the smartest move. In fact, you could say that's probably a very dangerous thing to do. But through the combination of a lion and the Spirit of God, there very much is a sense in which God rescues Samson from a dangerous place. That seems weird, but let's draw out an implication from that. Samson seemed to be heading where his flesh was urging, where the power of sin was present and powerful and wanting to engage him. That's where he's headed. But to move Samson back to freedom, okay, God interjected through the tough circumstances of a lion. I've never had a lion come running at me, I'll be honest. I try not to put myself in those kinds of places. I had a moose run at me once. That was terrifying enough. But Samson put himself there, but God, threw that line, and then deploying his spirit, God got Samson out of danger. Here's an implication. Samson can walk into a dangerous place. You and I are very capable of walking into dangerous places. But because God is for our freedom, working for our freedom, he might put you and I in a tough set of circumstances to get us to stop, in essence, stop heading on our dangerous journey. He may put a block in front of us to stop us there and then to use the spirit to draw us back to freedom. God can do that in our lives because God is working and moving so we don't go to dangerous places. Let me ask you a question. Have you been putting yourself in dangerous places? Let me ask a more pointed question. As you look at the week ahead, are you planning to put yourself in dangerous places? You say, why are you asking that? I'm, 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 I'm in church, I know I shouldn't do that. I'm asking because Samson planned to go to a dangerous place. See, as the account continues, Samson's dad kind of brokers the deal. They get it figured out, so they go back home, and then they come back down to Timna getting ready for the wedding celebration. Samson stops and sees the dead lion and some bees have made a home in there, and he gets some honey out of that, and he has that, and he shares it with his parents, doesn't tell him that. And then we come to verse 10. And what does verse 10 tell us that Samson's doing? His father went down to the woman. That's kind of finishing the deal. And Samson prepared a feast there for so the young man used to do. Now, the feast, the word that's used there for a feast, basically meant that Samson was preparing for a seven-day drinking party. As a Nazarite, They're not supposed to have anything to do with any kind of alcohol. In essence, though, he is setting up a week-long open bar on his tab. Do you think that sounds dangerous? He planned to do this. And maybe because he liked being in this place of danger and he was being kind of pulled towards that, and maybe lubricated because of all the alcohol. He's like, hey, I wanna do this riddle thing. And really, it is a riddle, but it's also basically he's getting into gambling. Just so you know, gambling is not wise. It's dangerous. It's another step towards danger. It's another step towards letting the power of sin suck us in. Verses 12 to 14. And Samson said to them, "'Let me now put a riddle to you. "'If you can tell me what it is "'within the seven days of the feast to find out, "'then I will give you 30 linen garments "'and 30 changes of clothes. "'But if you cannot tell me what it is, "'then you shall give me 30 linen garments "'and 30 changes of clothes.' "'And they said to him, "'Put your riddle that we may hear it.' "'And he said to them, "'Out of the eater came something to eat. "'Out of the strong came something sweet.' And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. Now, you could say that just seems like a fun game, right? I mean, when Samson got there, they decided he needed to have sort of a, I was going to say bridal party, but I guess that's the right word. It's the groom party. And they gave him 30 guys. And so they were just having fun, right? They're just playing a game. You know, boys will be boys. Folks, this is a huge step towards greater danger. It's kind of heading in a path. Because what happens? Well, look at verse 15. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? Because Samson put himself into danger, he also put his wife into danger. He put her into a spot where she's thinking her only option is to demand and manipulate from him. And she does. She pushes. She wiggles around. She does things to charge things in his life. Please don't miss the implication. If you play with fire... You will get burnt by fire. Real quick story. Sixth grade. We were supposed to do this science experiment with candles. Meant the candle was burning. I would not say I am the smartest person in the room by any stretch. Had some paper towels. Thought, wonder what happens when you put a paper towel next to a lit candle. It burns. Problem was, it kind of started too well. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, now what do I do? Just in case you're wondering, smacking your hand does put out the fire, but it also burns you. Side note, don't try that at home. You get burnt if you play with fire. Here's the other thing. If you play with danger, you keep going there, what you're also opening yourself up to is a huge battle with anger you're probably not ready to fight. See, she has manipulated and pressed him, and so Samson tells his wife, and because she doesn't want to be burnt to death, and she doesn't want her dad to be burnt to death, she tells them. And then in verse 18, we get this. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than Honey and what is stronger than the lion. And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, gentlemen, that is not a pickup line to use with your wife. (laughs) Just wanted to clarify that. Okay, I did a wedding yesterday. Certain things you should say to your spouse. Calling your spouse a heifer probably is not one of them you would not have found out my riddle. Despite all of the danger and anger stuff that Samson had done, and he had done a lot, we need to remember God is still working in and around in a unique way around this. See, God wants to save Israel from the Philistines. Verse 19, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him And he went down to Ascalon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. And notice this he's still in anger. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. Forgot about his wife. And I want you to miss some implications from this verse. See, it's very possible for you and I to, when we operate from our values. Samson really was doing that. He's complicating his life, operating from his values, not God's. But even though we do that, guess what? God's still working. God is still moving, still working to bring freedom. Part of what that means, folks, part of what we need to understand is us receiving freedom, us even experiencing freedom, is not about our performance. God can work and move even though you and I mess up, even though you and I do terrible things. Freedom is a gift God brings, it's not something we achieve. I mean, you look at the end of verse 19, Samson is still in hot anger. And yet, God was working and moving in spite of that. Folks, you and I at times are going to battle with our flesh. And maybe we're going to perplex ourselves and go, I can't believe I did that. We have a moment of clarity in our life. I shouldn't have done that, but I did. You know what? That's true. How do you respond when that happens? Oh, i got to try harder. Well, yeah, we should do better. I don't disagree. But really where our response should be at that moment is to repent of our sin and to trust the fact that even though I've operated according... (laughs) to the wrong values, my values. God is still working to bring freedom. If you and I are gonna live in freedom, folks, we're gonna have to trust that he is working. Step number three. Be driven by God, not desires. Chapter 14 ends with Samson's wife being given to the best man. I mean, the father-in-law is like, wow, we had this big week-long celebration and her husband took off. I don't know if he's coming back, so I need to do something with her, so gave her to the best man. How's that going to go? Is that going to go well? Chapter 15, verse 1. After some days at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to his wife with a young goat. Some men would bring flowers or chocolate. He brought a goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber, but her father would not allow him to go in. Now Samson had issues with anger, but he also was driven by sensual desire. He wanted this woman and he was going to have her. But his father-in-law at least had some standards. He'd given her away to another guy, so that was not something that should be going on. So the father-in-law says, hey, you know, I've got a second daughter and she's better looking. Why don't you take her? You know, the father-in-law was trying to smooth this all over, thinking that would do it. Well, Samson had another idea. He didn't like that he couldn't go in, but he had another idea. See, instead of recognizing the impact of his actions, that he had set this up, he was denied because he'd walked away from his wife. He didn't see it that way. Instead, he let his sensual desire to turn into now anger again. And he gathered 300 foxes, ties their tails together with torches and lets them loose going through the harvest, destroying the harvest. Not exactly thrilling any farmers in the area. The Philistines are trying to figure out who did this. Oh, it was Samson, the son-in-law of this guy. So what do the Philistines do? They burned Samson's wife and father in law. Seems like we read that a little while ago, but that's exactly what happens. So Samson's still angry. So verses seven and eight. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I'll quit. Like, I'm going to do this one more time and then I'm going to be done. And he struck them with hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Atom. Now, we don't know what this hip and thigh, did it mean he broke hips and broke thigh bones? We, we don't know. We don't know if he just broke their bones, if he killed them, but it was pretty devastating. Samson was driven by desire, right? And he said, okay, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to quit. Can you really quit at this point? Like, is that really going to end things? I mean, think about it. What Samson did, to some measure, seems Right? I mean, if you get pushed on the playground of life, what do you got to do? You got to push back, right? That's what you got to do. I mean, at least that's what our desires and our anger kind of tell us we need to do. Up to this point, Samson never asked God for perspective or anything else. He's simply driven by his desire for sex and his desire for anger. That's what's in control. And I think, folks, that's pretty easy for any of us to do. I don't mean to insult you, but I think any of us could be driven by the exact same things. But that is incredibly dangerous for our souls. See, we need to realize that our desires impact more than us. Our desires, when we give in to them, we take that pull to the flesh our desires can push pe- push buttons in other people's lives, creating much bigger problems than we realize. Look at verses 9 to 11. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. The Philistines weren't dumb, in case you're wondering. Then the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they said, we have come to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Atom and said to Samson, do you know that the Philistines, don't you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. Samson had been living out his desires he'd been pushing his own buttons but that pushed the Philistines buttons he wanted to be done but they weren't done and you know what the last place Judah wanted to be was between two people who are pushing each other's buttons so they basically make a deal with Samson hey Samson says you won't like you won't hurt me no we won't hurt you okay You know what, folks, when we're driven by our desires, we have virtually no control over our lives. What controls us is our desires. In contrast to that, when we're driven by God, God's in control. Samson didn't know that, didn't realize it, but we need to. Judah, as I said, they didn't want to be caught in the middle, so they, in essence, negotiate with Samson. Samson says, you won't hurt me. No, we won't hurt you. We'll just deliver you over to the Philistines. Okay, let's do that. Well, Let's go with that. And we need to remember, in the background of all of this, Judges fourteen four, God was doing things. He was working. So even in this, God is working. God is beginning to save Israel, even though Samson is driven by so many other Verses 14 to 16 of chapter 15 describe what happens next. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Notice this. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flack that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it struck 1,000 men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. Now, step number two is showing up again. God is working for freedom. He's doing that, which again, kind of moves the issue. If we want to align with the work God is doing, align with the freedom he's offering us, we need to be driven by God and not by our desires. Which means we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves the question, what's driving us? Or who's driving us? Step number four. We need to recognize there's more to life than us. We need, you need to recognize there's more to life than you. I need to recognize there's more to life than me. Let me state something very obvious. Okay? We get ourselves into trouble when we're self-focused. And that was clearly something that Samson battled, being focused on himself. Verse 18, and he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? This is the first time we have a record of Samson acknowledging God's hands working. Okay, he seems to understand God was doing something. God was making this freedom thing happen. But in the same moment, he very quickly expresses what feels like a self-focused kind of a thing that has the aroma around it of doubting God. Now, to be fair to Samson, I have never killed a 1,000 men in hand-to-hand combat. I know for some of you that may be like a surprise, You haven't? No, I haven't. But I think if you did, I can understand being thirsty. Like, I can get that. But notice, his self-focus in that moment sort of seems to magnify himself and make God seem small. I mean, he almost seems to be inferring that God might not be able to meet his need for water, and then his life would end. As I was working on this, verse 18 kind of felt, quite honestly, like a punch in the stomach. With Paul and CJ leaving in two weeks, I am feeling a measure of pressure. And I know that I can make things about myself. I I know I battle being self-focused. And I can very easily think that everything needs to be good for me And God better make it that way quickly. To be clear, God provided water for Samson in verse 19. God will provide for us at Central. Not because we're so important, and definitely not because I'm so important. No, God provides because God is working for our freedom, God is moving there. He wants us to know freedom. He wants you to hear and respond to the gospel so that you'll be saved from the penalty of sin. And when that happens, then God will begin a work in you to start saving you from the power of sin. And God will continue that work until either you die or the Lord Jesus returns when God will ultimately save you from the presence of sin for all eternity and all of the hurt and all of the pain, and all of the anguish, and all of the sin, all of those things that are marking life right now, will be done. And we can simply glory in His presence. See, there's something way bigger than you and me. There is God doing amazing, incredible things. Folks, I'm assuming, like me, you don't like being perplexed. That's where we started. So let me try to land the message by offering some measure of clarity. First, let me be clear. We will struggle as followers of Christ. We will battle inside of us the the power of sin, the, the tension of the flesh pulling us toward failure, and the Holy Spirit pulling us toward freedom. That's why these steps, one, two, three, or one, three, and four, we need to do again and again. We need to keep there. We need to learn those lessons and live those lessons out. Second, God is still working. Now, part of what God is doing is he is going to accomplish his big plan for all of creation. There is going to be a day when every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He's doing that. God is also working to do things in our lives, in you and in me. Which is why if you have not yet trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, please understand he is inviting you today to repent and to trust him, to trust him as your Savior. Because God desires you to know freedom and to live in freedom, to be saved from the penalty of sin. And I want everyone to know, if you've been saved from the penalty of sin, God is literally working right now to let you live in that freedom, to save you from the power of sin, to address those things in our lives that pull us toward failure. God wants to bring us to freedom. We will struggle, but God is still working. The steps to learn from Samson's struggle. Let's cling to our Savior and know the freedom He's offering. Would you pray with me? Father, I am grateful to you for your love and your kindness, that in your word you offer us the incredible gift of showing us that yes, there is a struggle, but you can redeem and restore us And God, I pray we would cherish what we have in Jesus. Lord, move us to live in the freedom that we only can have in Christ. In the midst of the tension of life, may we embrace what you teach us. May we lean on your spirit and your son, Father, so we can walk in the freedom you offer.